1: to cover the arsenal and we can either focus on squad depth in the wake of the transfer window or the victory over manchester united which do you think we'll choose this is the arsenal vision post-match podcast my name is ellie smithy the man twitter Yankee gunner that's right we're going to choose the squad depth issue why would we just harp on a win when we can gnash our teeth and pull our hair and wring our hands over squad depth Uh, i'm kidding but only a little bit no uh we did the first half and second half rewatch of the united game over on uh, over on Patreon, so you can jump over there if you want to get relive that. And I think there was so much interesting stuff from that. I guess my, my synopsis is: we are very, very, very close. To being very 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 good it that execution in the final third when that clicks and this goes bang as Mikel says we're going to be very very good and then um next week we're going to do our, our premier league power ranking episode over there which is where normally we sort of rank those other big clubs and see where they are but mostly I think it would just be schadenfreude now which is a beautiful thing so that's all there if you want it there we've got this here today's going to be a bit of a special thing coming up uh, in roughly 30 minutes or so Jacob Hawley uh, a stand-up comic and, and huge Arsenal supporter uh he actually got to speak uh or do a do a set, I guess they say, in the business, right? Uh, at a recent Arsenal event, we'll talk all about that, and should have a few laughs and hear about his experience being a stand-up comic and also uh, about Arsenal as well, because this is an Arsenal podcast. That's why the name is Arsenal Vision. But you know, whatever. You know, if that wasn't clear at this point, welcome, glad you're here. Um, and here with me now, though, is is a, a person I call a friend. Uh, whether he would reciprocate is another story altogether. A content creator himself, he is the host of the Gunner Talk. You can find him on twitter x at tom canton media it's tom canton hello tom canton
2: hello how you doing you good yeah i'm doing well how are you yeah very good very good just making it through the international break as as best as i feasibly can
1: it's funny because this is like th- there's so few breaks in the season and it is so relentless and so this is obviously the time when you say you know what i'll take a breath i'll relax i'll take it easy and instead clive's like let's watch both halves of the united game and let's just so you know the the, the schedule never stops but as long as we're good, no one's gonna complain about that. How are you feeling? Um high level, four games in. How are you feeling about us? Right yeah, I'm,
2: I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I think uh obviously that Fulham game was such a kick in the kind of stomach, it really was when that when that goal went in. And I felt absolutely I was almost fearful of, of the reaction more than what I was going on to Arsenal. It's strange when you kind of live in this podcasting content creating worlds you know so much of it is also focused on what you know your audience is going to react like and what your next week is going to look like it engaging with other people and other Arsenal fans and I just knew after that Fulham result that it was going to be such a toxic atmosphere that only could be revived by kicking Manchester United in the best possible way and we managed to go even better than that by what we did on Sunday. So yeah, in Mm -hmm. the end, it's turned out very good indeed.
1: It is funny, you know, and I was just saying this to Clive because we rewatched, and I said, there's a world where Garnacho is a millimeter or a millisecond later in his run and we lose that game. And people are saying United are better than us and they're doing well and the Ten Hag project is taking off and we're miserable. And like, there's no world where that should be the narrative because they aren't good. You can see it when you watch them and we are quite good, but results dictate narrative. And I was just thinking to myself, if we had gone down to 10 men against Palace and conceded a late equalizer, but beaten Fulham, which we should have done from 2-1 up, up to, you know, up a man, I think the narrative would be we're very, very good and we're just unlucky because we got a BS red card against, against Palace, right? But because of the way we threw points away against Fulham, it's hard not to let the emotion overtake you. Up a goal, up a man, at home, to Fulham, you should win that game. And so it's just like... That one silly moment of a corner kick, I think, is keeping people from thinking we are right there with City as one of the best teams in the league, and being all worried and gnashing their teeth and pulling their hair out because we should be on twelve points right now and we're not, and and that's just totally colored the narrative. But I, I, I think from watching these games again and again, what I see, Tom, is a team that that is close, but it's execution in the final third that's that's still got to come. And we're integrating new pieces, so maybe it shouldn't be surprised. I'll ask you the. The controversial question of the moment, because I just feel like it's one of those things, you know, you have to tell me your name, your Twitter handle, and what your opinions are of Kai Havertz's performances so far. And I get that it's tedious, but he and Rice are the two new major pieces that are integrated. Timber, unfortunately, is not. Rice, there's no discussion to be had because he's brilliant. And we went on and on about that in the Monday pod. What's, what are your early takes on how Kai Havertz is adjusting?
2: I'm gutted. To be honest, um, Mm. I'm gutted because I went into that game against Manchester United and I went into it thinking, if he has a hero moment in this game, everything can turn. The conversation can turn. We can kind of put some of the games and the issues and the performances behind us and we can focus on this one really good thing that he's done, that he can use to build upon. And it just didn't happen. And he gave the ball away and he struck thin air with, you know, with his foot and he didn't win that penalty, which, you know, we can go back and forth about whether or not it should have stood or not. But the, the matter of fact is that it wasn't given. And. It felt almost like mercy when he was being taken off as a substitute, which is not what I wanted at all. Um, I really wanted him, especially when we found out that Thomas Partey was injured and that, you know, he was gonna to have to come into the game. Because I'd say that the majority of Arsenal fans probably would have benched him and played Partey and Rice in midfield for this game. Um so when it was confirmed he would be starting, it was a case of this is such a, an opportunity because you probably wouldn't have been started now. A lot more people may have started you just to give you that chance. And it didn't take it. I'm now torn in this sense of thinking, do we now? Take him out of the team and a little bit like when Martinelli came back from that serious knee injury, bed him in, build him up that confidence from the bench and get him in Mikel Arteta's thinking again in in the sense of what he can do really well. Or do you persist? Do you maintain him in this group and allow him to try and play himself into form and hope that it works? I think I lean something more towards the former than the latter. Mm, Uh, And I think that it's time, even though Everton will be a physical test when we return after the international break. I'd like to see rewards given to players like Fabio Vieira for their contribution, and I think it's worth doing that in that game.
1: So it's funny. I'd go the other direction, and I'd persist. First of all, I think four games is just too soon. I think when you spend the money we have on him and make him an important part Mm. of your summer transfer plans, you have an idea for what the role is supposed to be. And I think I look at it similarly to the martinelli Trissard debate. Now, Martinelli, obviously, a player people just love and rate, where it's a little bit different right now. But Trissard and Martinelli are not the same player. They play the game in very different ways in terms of attacking the byline, the pace up and down the wing, the relentlessness pressing. Troussard may be a little more technical, right? Maybe a little more um, better in tight spaces at times, or if you want to say more of a provider to other teammates, maybe picks out a better pass in in tight spaces, but he's more of an interior. And so if you say, you know, Martinelli's off his game, play Troussard. I'm not saying, by the way, that's the case, just as a a hypothetical. um, You're not swapping like for like particularly. And I think right now, the player that would be in the frame to replace Havertz would either be Troussard or Vieira. And those aren't like for like. I do think that Havertz's size, right? Dual winning, back post late runs. Those are the things that surely Mikel identified as what he wanted in that role. And so if you don't persist, I'm not saying that Vieira and Troussard aren't good options, Tom, they're great options, but they will play the role differently. And so the question is, is Mikkel ready to adjust how he wants that role played? And I'll only say this, people will think it's controversial. I don't mean it to be. I'm just saying it because my opinion, having literally just come from the rewatch of the United game with Clive. Havertz was worse against Fulham than United. The yeah. difference is the two big moments in the game that could have that changed the narrative for Havertz went against him, right? The missed kick, and the giveaway for the United goal. Now, the giveaway for the United goal, as we observed, there's a mistake by Rice that Rice makes three times in the game where he, he does something Party doesn't do. Instead of passing it forward, he carries or he runs forward. But when you're the six, you got to be careful. And he vacates that space, and then we're vulnerable on the counterattack. You don't notice that as much. You know, again, we might be talking about Rice stepping up on the Garnacho goal, except he's offside, so we're not talking about that. We could be talking about Havertz winning us the game by earning a penalty with a good late run into the box but we're not because the penalty got overturned. It just feels at the moment that it's not going for him. But in terms of overall play, when I rewatched it, I, I think it was all right. But of course, football is about the big moments. Ironically, Martin Odegaard. I rewatch, Martin Odegaard missed a number of chances to set up teammates, but he scored the equalizer brilliantly. And I, it, it's it would be very, very silly to deny that the big moments are what determine football. But I think structurally, it's still working enough the Fulham game, I wasn't sure. The United game, I still think it is. So is that fair? At least l- let's set aside whether we think he's been great or not, because clearly there are people that are going to accuse me of squinting to try to see it. <laughs> but is it fair to point out that if you do make a switch for someone like a Vieira a Troussard, you are bringing in a very different type of player. And that may be a reason why Mikel's not ready to make that switch just yet.
2: Without a doubt, you are making a switch for a very different type of player. is it- Vieira a player that I do think is really going to suit. That system. I mean, we. I remember listening to the the podcast at the start of last season when Vieira first came in. I remember listening to Clive talk about uh, Vieira as this option that we could have that eventually would take over from Xhaka. And now, obviously, we've invested a lot of money in another player that might take over from Xhaka mm. in that space in the eleven. And they are different, as you say. I just think that there's there's something to be said about rewarding. Good things in a team, True. and if yeah. I'm Fabio Vieira and I've come off the bench in the you know my last two opportunities, I've got three assists in those moments. Mm. Um, I just feel as though that as a player, I would be a little disheartened to not be when the guy that is ahead of me is is having the struggles he is having. Yeah, that's okay. fair. And because of obviously the context around the investment and how much Arteta technically likes the player. But Vieira was Havertz a year ago. He was this surprise mm-hmm. signing in attacking midfield that we didn't think we were going to need and came into the team and I think was told that he'd have, in my view, you know, a year to transition, which he's had. A lot of people have written this guy off. Um and I always said that I think in this era of ruthlessness of the squads, you get two. You get two seasons. Um and I think that the second season for Vier is is a massive and I think that given those opportunities he's got and taken, there is something to be said about earning a place so obviously the psv game comes very soon after everton which probably if you do start Havertz, you're going to see vieira given the opportunity in that game where we maybe do need more creators to go up against us so when we have more possession at home at the emirates there may be a way at everton where havertz could come in useful with his physicality and height more than anything so but i think it really could go either way i don't think there's actually a wrong answer to this and i do think that both would be very useful in that game against everton and and either of them would have their their benefits and, and drawbacks but we'll see what happens
1: yeah. And to your point, look, there is a fine line between giving up on a player early being the narrative and having a meritocracy and rewarding good performance being the narrative. Right? Like, I think he's done well to reward Enkedia by sticking with him most. I mean, obviously, he he did give Trisar a start up front. Was that against Fulham, actually? Fulham, yeah. That, yeah. Fulham, yeah. Um, but Nkedia has largely been trusted in the absence of Jesus. Vieira would have every right, as Trissard probably has. But the irony is we we said Trissard deserves a start, and then he did get a start against Fulham, and it didn't really work. Not because Trissard's not a good player, but because the role doesn't suit him as well. And like one of the things... There, no, there's nothing people hate more than excusing and attacking players' bad performances by being like, look at his duel winning. Look at his pressing, right? It just feels like you're squinting to see it. But we do press, and we do need to win duels. And I still think Vieira it's so, it, gosh, it is so lazy to just talk about how lightweight he is. I don't mean this as a physical stature thing. Is he, is he going to be as aggressive in the duels, though? Is he going to win those duels to win us back balls? That's also part of the part of the demand of that position. So I would be totally fine with Vieira starting a game. If he did, I would say it was a proper reward for good performances, and I'd be happy to see it. I think Vieira plays the role a little bit more, again, as sit-back and distribute, right? Putting in swingers, play in one-twos, take shots from outside of the box. Does Mikel want someone who's wants to get to the back post? And will Vieira do that? Those are the little things that I think will be interesting to say. But this is, ideally, this is a good problem. A good problem where Havertz hasn't totally integrated yet. Let's not give up on him, but let's also recognize that in Trissard and in Vieira, we have perfectly uh, valuable, talented alternative options. So that, that leads me to this point, which is just Squad size and where we're at. I think there was a lot of hand-wringing Tom after the window closed that we'd left ourselves short. And I want to be clear that I absolutely see the concern. Timber was a very important signing. I, I don't think we realized how important when we signed him, but we certainly realized it by the time preseason was over. He's gone. Shaq is gone. Um, you know, we've moved on to Rob Holding, right? Uh, there's, there's been players that have gone out and there's a question of whether we've left ourselves thin in certain areas. I want to read you the bench from the United game Gabriel Jesus, Takahiro Tomiyasu, Jorginho, Vieira, Nelson, Smith Rowe, Kivior, Trissard, Raya. That's a lot of talent on that bench. If we bring in another, let's say, center back, who are you dropping? Tomiyasu? He played well when he came in. Kivior? Certainly shown he deserves a chance to play. Smith Rowe? Is Smith Rowe going to be a player that doesn't make matchday squads? Nelson? Nelson was brilliant on his cameo. Jorginho was an important midfield. Like, I get that we're not going to stay totally fit the whole season long, but Thomas Party wasn't even in the team. If Thomas Party hadn't gotten injured, either Tomiyasu or Kivior or Smith Rowe or Nelson or Troussard or Vieira, they're not even making the squad. So when you look at it that way, are you still like, Elliot, nah, mate, you're, <laughs> you're out of your mind, we're still short, we need another defender, or does it start to look like maybe, you know, once the window closes, you get a little of your sense back and you say, this is, this is a pretty deep team?
2: Yeah, look, I think it would be naive to say that it's not a deep team at this stage. Uh, I think there is great optimism about what Edu and Arteta and the recruitment team as a whole have done over the last three and a half years plus to, to build this squad toward what it, from what it was to what it is now. I mean, you look at the bench at the end of that run where we were trying to battle with Spurs for the Champions League and you had Zach Swanson on the bench and Mika Bireth and, you know, uh, Amari Hutchinson. We had like three to four youth players uh, on a bench at that stage and you fast forward just over a year, you know, it's not... Not even that far. And suddenly after just three windows, uh, two summers and a winter window, Arsenal suddenly have one of the deepest squads in the league. And it's a really exciting place to be in that sense. What I would say, though, is I think to those that are screaming at their devices that they wish we'd signed another midfielder or another defender on deadline day, I do think they have an argument to some degree because we've been burned by spontaneous and simultaneous injuries to more than one player at the same time. Uh, Tomiyasu and and Saliba against Sporting will be forever the game which cost Arsenal the title, in my opinion. Um, And... I think that that with Champions League and cup football and the FA Cup after in the new year to come, there's always the possibility that a spate of injuries will happen. I mean, just look at Chelsea, you know, look at the depth that squad when all fit has, but look how many of those players are currently out injured right now and how quickly and in quick succession they've lost the likes of Christopher Nkunku and Kunku and Reese James all out of all of a sudden. So it can change very dramatically for you. And I think that your your recruitment design is there so that when that does happen, you're covered. And that hasn't been the case for Arsenal in especially the defensive areas in terms of strength and depth for some time. When Timber got injured... It was, you know, I don't know what was more of a gut punch to me when Fulham equalized or when Timber went down with that ACL because obviously over the long term, the Timber injury is is worse. But if we lose the title by a point, then I'm going to look back at that Fulham game and think it's worse. But the, the, the metaphor is that, you know, that Timber injury has made the window feel like a 7 out of 10 when it was probably a 9 out of 10 um, because we've lost such an important player in Timber. And I feel as though that if Arsenal had gone into the market to find a, a defender, it could have been great. But the caveat, and the uh, and to end this monologue with the argument and the counter to that is that I don't know who on earth we were going to sign to, to be a Timber replacement because... They know they're going to come in and be behind whoever's starting, and they know when the player that they've replaced comes back in less than a season's time, how on earth they're going to get minutes for Arsenal, I don't know. So there is sympathy and questions Mm. at the same time.
1: So my answer to that would be, if there's a defender you love and you're thinking of him as maybe a a next summer signing, you could, I I guess in theory, make him a this summer signing. Mm. With the understanding that a Tamiasu or a viewer might leave next summer, so that that player and Timber now are the depth there. I just, I do think there is a a bit of a weird thing that we as supporters have, and I get it, because we want to win everything and we don't want to be light in any position, where we should be able to suffer injuries at every position and seamlessly overcome them. And I just don't think that's reality. I know I invoke Liverpool too much, and I'm sorry I do it, but in the seasons they were good, their key players played all their games. You know, or just about all their games. Um, And and the key players just don't miss. They just don't miss. And we've seen it, by the way. In the seasons when Liverpool didn't have Van Dyke, they stunk. Now you can say, well, that was the problem. They should have had someone behind Van Dyke. Who are you going to have behind Van Dyke that's peak Van Dyke? No one. What I didn't want us to do was go bring in the next Cedric or Pablo Marie to cover the timber injury. What does that get you? Now, I already mentioned our bench. What you really have to do is trust the players in your squad, right? Because, And then you have guys like Rural Walters. Do I want another Cedric or do I want a Rural Walters to have a chance? Mm-hmm. I want to read you Manchester City's bench from the weekend, okay? We think, uh, Manchester City, that's what we're going up against. Kovacic, Laporte, Vardio, Grealish, okay? Cole Palmer, who's now gone, right? How is he? couldn't have been. Actually, I must be reading from oh, I got- uh, that's the wrong game. Of course, that's the wrong game because Cole Palmer is no longer a Manchester City player. So let me, let me give him the bench. <laughs> uh, no, neither is Laporte. That's a good point. Yep, thank you. Okay, here we go. So this is their bench Calvin Phillips, Bernardo Silva, Sergio Gomez, something called Oscar Bob. That's great. I love that. <laughs> Rico Lewis, <laughs> Stefan Ortega, Vardio, Mateus Nunez, and Scott Carson. And I have to admit, I've never heard of Scott Carson. Have I heard of Scott Carson? Sure, Uh, you have Manchester United. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keeper. Yeah. So, sorry, I'm just having a few brain. Look, this is like my third and a half hour Oscar Bob. Oscar Oscar Bob. That's who (laughs) I am. Um, But, 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 I mean, the only reason I I say that is not to suggest that Manchester, uh, Manchester City don't have an extraordinary squad because Manchester City have an extraordinary squad, right? And and they are deep. But it's the point that like, if they lose Rodri you know if they lose holland if you know if they lose some some key pl- i mean they lost uh de bruyne and now they've got doku i guess roughly playing that role but he's not kevin de bruyne um and and i just think results color per- perceptions because they had seven shots against fulham seven seven shots they scored five goals <laughs> so you know you can't really pull them up on that but i i only raise this to say that i think there is a a, a myth of the perfect squad, where at every position, if you lose a guy, you're fine. And by the way, if you lose the guy behind that guy, you're fine. If we lose William Saliba, we will know, no, no we will not be as good. Ben White will slide over and we will have to play Thomas Party or Tomiyasu at right back. Okay. And if we lose Zinchenko, we're going to have to play Tomiyasu or Kivior at left back. Tomiyasu came on for Zinchenko and the game. is fine. Now, are they as good as the starters? Probably not. What team has that? You know, and so I, I think I think we have enough depth at the moment to be okay. Now, losing party obviously makes people feel well. Why did we send Samby away? Do, do we think Samby's going to start Premier League games for us and keep us at the level we want to be? There's a reason we we did send him away. Um, but let's bring up the Thomas Party thing. In retrospect, now I mean, it's easy to say we should have sold him. You sold him by bought a replacement. Just you know, sticking strictly with the footballing considerations. I I, I think he's thirty. He's injury prone. As we record this, we don't know if Ghana have qualified for the African Cup of Nations. They play the Central African Republic. If they lose and Angola beat Madagascar, then Ghana are out. And that changes things. But assuming for a minute Ghana get through, Tom, we have no party for six weeks. Then we have no party in January. And who knows what he comes back from. So is that looking like maybe one of those cases where we just need to be a little less nervous about moving away from players and take the money when the money's on offer?
2: Yeah. I mean, on the AFCON, I remember the last time that Partey attended I think he only missed one game uh, for us and came back pretty mm-hmm. swiftly because Ghana went out in the in the group stage. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be missing for a, a long, long time in in January if they're involved in that competition, but there's the potential for them to be out for a period of time. I, th- this injury, I think for a lot of fans, felt like a bit of a turning point. Um, I think it was an injury which kind of got a collective sigh of yeah here we go again maybe you know we (laughs) need to look at what happens after party and and how we deal with that because what's great about this season is because is that we've got Declan Rice who is Mm -hmm. touching woods you know everyone listening needs to touch wood in a collective fashion um, now because he is the most reliable player in this team in terms of attendance played I think nearly every single minute of West Ham season last year and we've got a player there that that is you know near guaranteed to be with us throughout the course of the season. That said, he did have a little knock in preseason. I remember he missed uh, one of those preseason games, wasn't able to play. Um, so that it, there's always that scary uh, shadow yeah. in the background. I suppose that it can creep up on you at any point. But back to part A, I think finding a potential replacement should certainly be on the club's agenda for the summer. Um, potentially even January, depending upon. The options that are there I mean why why not get an early start I think I saw a report today suggesting Barcelona might have an interest in Jorginho so you know if to say that Jorginho could move on in say January um because has six months left yes we have an option to activate if we want to but remember that Chelsea got 12 million quid for this guy with six months left on his deal who's to say that Arsenal couldn't replace um Jorginho in January and then you know bring in another midfielder in the summer if, if Partey was to go also but I look at Somebody who's actually already played against Arsenal this, um, I say season, it was in pre-season, that Monaco game when Yusuf Fafana lit up the Emirates, that's the player I look at and go, yes, he's not an out-and-out number six like you would say Partey is, but I see what Declan Rice did against Manchester United and I know I'd love to see him given the freedom and potential with what he can do going forwards, but let's not ignore the fact that he is a top defensive midfielder and can play that role. And if you've got someone like a Yusuf Fafana who can play in the final thirds of both, uh, of the third of both halves, I think that there you've got an opportunity. Be it him or somebody of a similar calibre to to take again, you know, the next step in in this midfield's evolution. There are options out there. There are opportunities, and I don't think you have to do a Moises Caicedo and spend 115 million pounds necessarily to find it. I think we had to spend our 100 million pound midfielder. At least once but I think you can you know subsidize that with some shrewd pieces of business um for players that I mean you look at what Liverpool did with McAllister and how much they signed McAllister for you know less than 40 million pounds there are these players out there if you can find the opportunities with them being having clauses or not to get mm. quality through the door in the midfield and and yeah Thomas Partey needs to be looked at as a a place where we need to think about the next step of the midfield from either January or the summer following.
1: Really well said. And I don't think I can really argue with any of that. I, I do think that, you know, there are people that would say, like, well, now look what we've done. You know, Thomas Party's injured and we're one Rice injury away from a crisis. And it's like, well, yes, if one of the best central midfielders in the Premier League and Thomas Party gets injured and the other one of the best central midfielders in the Premier League and Declan Rice gets injured, then yes, we, we have a problem. The other way to look at it is, we have two of the best central midfielders in the world and you know maybe only one other is in that group in the Premier League and that's Rodri and outside of that nobody's in that group, right? And we have two of them. I, I, I personally think we have the best
2: three defensive midfielders in the world as a group. I don't think there is a club mm. with a better collection of defensive midfielders than us. Uh, mm. You know, Real Madrid have a lot of really good center midfielders mm. um, but beyond Chuamani. You know, Valverde, Cruz, Modric, uh, Camavinga, Sabios. You know, I look at them as more central midfielders. Yeah.
1: But us, Jorginho, Rice, Partey. Is there a better team out there? With you know, I don't. No, I mean that, that that's as good a group as you'll get. And you know, obviously, Jorginho and Partey are not for the future. Uh, ultimately, where I think we could get better as operators, Tom. If I want to be nitpicky, and again, this is me saying this from my home office. And, and not as an employee of a, a Premier League club where things are very complicated. I think we could get better at moving on from our aging out players, having the confidence to sell and replace. There was a lot of value in Thomas Party this window. There's a lot of value to him in our squad, and we're trying to win a title. Do you change a piece that, that that's that important in a summer when you're trying to win a title? Maybe not. Alternatively, you could say, We can really get good value for him and buy a pretty good player to come in and be the next player now. And these are the tough decisions to make. You know, Liverpool had to make that decision with Salah, right? When do you move on from Mohamed Salah? Now that's even the next level, but if you can get 200 million pounds for him, now Liverpool don't... Well, maybe they do see themselves as title contenders this season. They might. I was going to say they're still in a bit of a rebuild phase. Maybe it would have been time to just swallow the bitter pill and replace. That's the hard decision. When do you say... Take the value and replace. You know, Liverpool built their title squad selling Coutinho. I'm sure they didn't want to sell him, but the money that was on offer, how can you not? And it looks like a stroke of genius. What could we have turned party money into in a midfield air? Because a guy who's only av- available half the time, it, no matter how good he is, he's holding you back because you cannot plan around having him. Now, we've insulated ourselves by adding Rice, but clearly Mikel thought this party at right back thing was something. And if that's a thing that he thought was something, well... He's, he's got a problem because that guy's only available half the time at best. So maybe just, and maybe we still will sell him with the Saudi window open, you know, and and we will take the money and we'll look at a January replacement. It's possible. I, I think that's an area we could have done that. You know, another good example, Tom is Emil Smith Rowe. Emil Smith Rowe is a player I adore and I want to see him thrive at Arsenal. I don't want him to leave, but business, you know, it's not show friends and show business, right? Like the, the fact of the matter is, Emil Smith-Rowe has value, and people want to give us money for him at the moment. Could we have bought a player we actually intend to use? I am very curious to see what we do with this player in the coming weeks. Will he start a Champions League game? Will he get into two, you know, someone made this point to me on Twitter, and I apologize for not remember who it is. With games going to 100 minutes in the Premier League now, like Vieira came on as a sub in the 77th minute. He played 23 minutes. So we have to think differently about how much playing time is actually available. But what do you think about Smithrow? Like, if you're not going to use him, you can't just sit on him for emotional reasons. You have to turn him into value. But I'd like us to use him. What, what do you think might happen with that player?
2: Yeah, it's it's such a difficult conversation because... Um... The idea of seeing Smith Rowe at another club is horrible. I used the example of like, if you're with uh, if you're with another half, that the only reason you're with them is because you just don't want to see them with somebody else. You know that's not healthy for you. You know, and I feel mm-hmm. like there is that, that there is something to be said about the idea that if we're being very honest, Arsenal's best eleven doesn't include Emile Smith Rowe, and that's. The reality—that's how good our squad is. That's not a—that's not a criticism of Smith Rowe. That's a compliment to our team. And I think that whilst there was a time when Smith Rowe basically nearly saved Mikel Arteta's career, you know, with that introduction against Chelsea on Boxing Day, and then how things turned around with him in the squad. If that hadn't have happened, it would have been intriguing to see what might have happened to a Mikel Arteta if we would have finished, you know, bottom half of the table. If we'd not turned things around, and Smith Rowe was a huge part of that. But it's so difficult to know where this goes because last season was such an unknown with the amount of injuries and the amount of absences that he had and the fact that he's not played any minutes this season. I think he has been treated a little bit harshly. I think he could have been given more minutes than he has been. Um, you know. And I think that there were opportunities this season to give him those chances, but so far hasn't happened. I think that... When we come to the next international break, which is in October, we we would have had a Carabao Cup game, we would have had a few Champions League games, and I think if by that point we're still having a conversation about Smith Rowe not getting minutes, then there's really something to worry about. I'm not really worried at this point, but if by that point we're still having this talk, then there is because he is value at the end of the day. You know, next summer we talk about what value we could offer Thomas Partey. We've only we've you know we've signed him up to a brand new contract in Smith Rowe. There are clubs that are going to be interested, top clubs. We know Chelsea made an approach that was turned down because the price that we apparently quoted was was extraordinary, which it should be, um, especially if Chelsea come along. Mm-hmm. And there are going to be clubs interested next summer. And he could be a player that gets you significant value. And we will have to get over the sad fact that, you know, he, he might pull on a different shirt in his future. Because we you can't keep someone at the club for the sake of it. it. It's You just can't. If you want to be at the top, you don't do that. And he has to think selfishly as well about his career and where he wants to go. But I'm hoping we're not having that conversation and that Arteta, in his his wisdom, finds a way of giving Smith-Rowe the impactful time that his quality deserves.
1: Once upon a time, we had a player who showed a lot of promise but had some injury issues who we all really rated and wanted to see make it at Arsenal, and we sold him to Liverpool, Oxlade-Chamberlain. You Mm. know, we didn't want to do it at the time, but it was the right decision to make. I'm not ready to give up on Smith Rowe. That's not my point. But my point is like what the role he has right now is no good to anybody. It's not value to Arsenal and it's not helpful to the player. Um, this is why who would want to be a director of football or a manager? Because on the one hand, you got people screaming, why won't he give Smith Rowe minutes, give him minutes for God's sake. On the other hand, you have people screaming, we're too, we're too short. We need more players. And so everybody wants the guy they like to play. Like in, in NFL, there's an expression, especially usually this for losing teams. We're not a losing team, but the backup quarterback's the most popular guy in town. The guy who's not playing is the guy who's going to change it and fit, right? So we should be playing Troussard, or we should be playing Emil Smith-Rowe, or we should be playing Vieira, because the guy not playing is the guy who's going to bring that thing that's missing. Um, More often than not, it's not quite that simple, and the people that watch training all day and the people that work with these players all day actually know who's going to get the most out of the squad. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe, if he plays more, I think that'd be great for us. But we are a very, very good team without him playing at all. And that's a tough place to be. And while people want us to have a deeper squad, suddenly you're going to have people being like, why doesn't he use Jorginho? Why doesn't he use Emma Smith-Rowe? Why doesn't he use Vieira? Why doesn't he use Kivio? You know, um, like I said, if, par- if party had been fit, look at that bench we put out Sunday and, and-, and tell me who shouldn't make a match day
2: squad. because that may have been the one not in there. Uh, yeah, I also Pimer think there's Nelson. something to be said about people's frustrations linked to Kai Havertz, and there's something to be said about if if a 65 million pound signing in Kai Havertz, who has so far failed to impress, is the reason that Hale-End graduate Emil Smith Rowe leaves Arsenal, that might be something that people start to reference. And I have a fear that you know that if if Kai Havertz doesn't work out, and that Smith Rowe is the victim of that. And He's moved on because you know, I could see Smith Rowe playing in that left eight position and driving at opposition teams and creating problems and being proactive as well if given the opportunity. But when you've spent 65 million pounds on a player that you and by you, I mean Arteta, is, is identified as someone that can replace that Jacques's place in this squad, you're going to play him. So that's where I think some people will have their grievances,
1: and I and I totally get that. And by the way, what I don't want to dismiss it is entirely understandable to feel more attached to an academy player than a signing, especially a signing from a club you, you detest, right? So academy players should rightfully be held to a different place in our hearts. Now, not everybody's going to feel that way, but I think it is fair to feel that way and to want those guys in particular who are Arsenal through and through and have come through from from boyhood to, to thrive and survive at the club. Um, none of this is written yet. I mean... Reese Nelson is a good example of someone who I think he might have even more chances and be even more prominent in our squad if injuries didn't happen at the time they did. Last season, injuries hit right around Europa League group stage time and he couldn't play. And this season, he missed the whole preseason. And he's just now getting on the pitch and he looked electrifying in his very short, admittedly very short cameo. There's another player, you know, it, it's we've talked him into a new contract. And I think a lot of people are saying, what are we doing? You know, just move on from Reese Nelson and replace but every time he comes on, he flashes some of that talent that we've been hearing about for years. And if he could just stay fit, and this is why it's so hard because if you move on from him and you bring in a bum and someone says, we moved on from our academy superstar for this bum. But if you hold on to him and he gets injured again or breaks down again or doesn't get minutes, it's, we just, you know, we hold on to everybody. We're hoarders. So it, it, it is, unfortunately, it winds up being outcome-based. With Reese Nelson, we, we can sort of wrap up here, but with Reese Nelson, what do you think of his role? Because every time he plays, he looks influential. Um, but he's not going to start ahead of Martinelli, yeah, I, would, I would think, in most games. And Troussard has every right to feel that he should get playing time. Nelson looks more effective off the left than the right to me because otherwise you'd say, well, he could spell Saka with minutes, but that hasn't been always been used. There's another guy who has flashed a lot of talent in the last 12 months when he's been on, but there's no clear clear path for him. What do you, what do you make of the decision to, for him to stick around and, and what his role might be?
2: Yeah, I love the fact he stayed. Um... Because it tells me that he's a player and this will, I think, is is an opinion that will divide because some people feel that if a player is willing to just kind of sit on the bench and take his paycheck, is that really the type of player you want? But I think there's value in a player that recognizes that I'm signing a contract behind Gabriel Martinelli and Bakaya Saka. And when I come off the bench and I am used from the bench, I know that I'm valued as a player of the impact that I make in games. And I think Reese Nelson recognises that. I also think he recognises that he's going to get opportunities in the amount of games that Arsenal have. And he also recognises that at the moment we don't have a... Defined backup to Saka as well, and if I remember that game against Nottingham Forest, where Saka did come off injured and Nelson came on and scored twice and looked brilliant on the right, you know, and we talk, I talk about a lot about how I prefer him on the left, and I think Arteta prefers inverted wingers and as well, but he did look good on the right and his ability to cut the ball back to the central forwards, you know, was was really good. I think he also got an assist in that game for Jesus, did he not, Um, against Forest too? Mm -hmm. So it's really important to look at a player for what they are when they sign and I think Nelson recognises that he's a player that is at this point in time with this new deal and his first season of it an impact player for Arsenal and my goodness does he create an impact and it's great Mm -hmm. to have someone that electrifying and dynamic and with that much acceleration in their game and a real will for Arsenal to succeed. Because this isn't like when you sign a player up when they're 30 and they're happy to take the paycheck. This is a player that's young, you know, understands the importance of minutes in his career and the time that he gets in the field, but also that loves Arsenal Football Club, loves being at Arsenal, loves the community. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of work in the community around Arsenal and North London. Uh, Art De Roche did some fantastic stuff with him at the Athletic. And I think that... What you should look at with Nelson is a player that is just utterly and and ultimately willing to do everything for Arsenal. And and I love those types of characters.
1: I think that's a great point too, because look, one thing we're all going to have to get used to, it's been a long time, everybody. We're very, very good again. And when you're very, very good, your squad gets deep and has a lot of talent and suddenly very good players are on the fringes. To be very good what you want are level raisers, but level raisers push other guys down the totem pole who are also quite good. And I think if I'm going to have anybody in my squad who's fighting for minutes, who's on the outside looking in a bit, I'd rather have an academy kid, someone I trust, loves the club, loves North London, wants to be there, is willing to fight, as opposed to the person, you know, you could say, well, why do we get rid of Balogun and keep Eddie and Kenny?" You know why? Because Eddie and Kenny has shown a willingness to fight for the role that he can get at Arsenal. And Balogun didn't want to do that, which by the way is entirely his prerogative. Entirely. He has a right to go say, I think I'm good enough to start somewhere. And I respect the hell out of that. But I'd much rather have, for example, a Nelson vying for some minutes than a Cedric, right? Someone who really, really loves the club and is going to fight for the... And by the way, maybe Cedric loves the club and would fight for the badge. I, I don't know. But my you get my general point, right? Those guys that are really happy to be at the club, I think, can really fill out your your squad in an effective way. I think I think we've covered enough for an interlal here, and we got to get to uh, Jacob, who's going to... Lighten the mood a little, not that the mood is down at all when we, when we speak to you, Tom, but Jacob's going to join I'm us sorry. next uh, after I tell you about some incredible brands that are going to change your life, of course. But, Tom, uh, I, I always love having you on. I always love talking to you, and um, every time you're on, people always rave about your contribution and say that, you know, you should, you should host the podcast and I should be fired, but that, you know, that's a totally different <laughs> point altogether. And, and uh, for the time being, we're not planning on having that happen. So Tom is on Twitter, Tom can media. You should absolutely check out his YouTube channel, which you already probably do the Gunner talk, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal place to get uh, lots of good content. And Tom, just uh, great to see you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Always mate. Um, and uh, yeah, check out some of the, the work we do at football.london as well. It's uh, it's really, of really good stuff.
1: Yeah, football. That 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 is very important as well. Um, and and you do some great work, uh, for them as well. Okay, we're gonna uh, talk about some brands here, and then we're gonna say hello to Jacob. So first things first, let's talk about NordVPN. NordVPN is a VPN that I use for a lot of reasons. First of all, it's easy. They have an app. You click, and it it just makes you browse from wherever you want to browse from. So, you know, this Interlo, there's going to be some games that I want to watch that aren't being shown in my area. Guess what? I can just switch to browse over there. I want to watch match of the day because I want to see highlights over and over and over and over and over and over and over again of Arsenal beating Manchester United. Then I can just browse over there. Uh, The other thing it's going to allow me to do is when I travel, you know, maybe I'm overseas and I want to watch all the football And I can watch all the football with my American subscriptions, but I can't watch them when I'm overseas. I can browse back in the U S so I can uh, watch what I want to watch. Maybe I want to look at like, Netflix offerings from other parts of the world. I can do that with Nord. Very easy, simple click, off you go. It's nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision, nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. Now, they also have threat protection, uh, which is obviously increasingly important, so you have access to that. And you're gonna get a month free plus a huge discount, and if you don't like it, you have 30-day money-back guarantee, so you can just cancel the whole thing and say, didn't work for me, no big deal, no harm, no foul. So try it out, nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision to get that discount. Okay, NordVPN.com slash Arsenal Vision. Do it now. And of course, if you're hiring, then you know who you need. I shouldn't have to say it, but I will. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. With instant match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they post a job a sponsor job, I should say, according to Indeed data in the U.S. One of the things I love about Indeed is that you do not have to spend time on all these different sites. Candidates you invite to apply, by the way, are also three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search. You want a hiring partner where the the candidate wants you and you want the candidate. Like That's how it should work. Indeed makes it work that way. And they are the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than three million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. <clears throat> to hire great talent fast, start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit. $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. All for good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now <clears throat> at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports. terms you supply, you need to hire, you need indeed Elliot. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Got it. Okay, now that that's out of the way, it is my great pleasure to introduce Jacob Hawley. Jacob is both a stand-up comic and an Arsenal supporter, and those two things could potentially go hand-in-hand, although thankfully not so much at the moment. Uh, Jacob, great to see you. How are you? Thanks for having me, Elliot. How are you? Yeah, doing well. By the way, um, if you want to find Jacob and all his work and all the places you can uh, see him, listen to him, uh, buy anything he's selling, consume anything he's producing, listen to anything that he's talked about, see anything he's acted out, any of those kinds of things here in this fine digital environment that we le- uh, live in, his link is in the show notes. Okay, so Jacob. Is the fact that you are a stand-up comedian a direct response, like a, a body's defensive response to having been an Arsenal supporter uh, in the new millennium, or is, there, or is there a different reason why you do those two things
3: together? <laughs> what, what's the story? Uh, pain and time results in humor or something like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly <laughs> Yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, I, to, to be honest with you, I, I, do, I do think um, you have to have a bit of a sense of humor with Arsenal. I mean, we, we, we've literally had what people famously refer to as a banter era Mm. or what was quite a large period of my Arsenal support in life, but there, there are also quite a lot of us. There's a lot of us comedians who do support Arsenal. Um, I don't know how many you've heard, of, but like people like Ramesh Ranganathan, Rob Beckett. There, there are loads of us. I think it's because a lot of us live around the area. But yeah, it, it's definitely one has definitely fed into the other. I think.
1: Is this kind of like the Big Short for you, though? Like the banter era for you is like the Big Short. Like you, <laughs> my moment is here. Now I can cash in
4: on this. <laughs> yeah, arsenal but this support. is it. <laughs> but, I mean the. the,
3: the the All or Nothing documentary was great because it gave us a bit more material. But, I mean, up, like now, there's not really much that, that's, that's that funny about us anymore. We're, we're, you know, we're professional. We're slick. We're good. We run properly. It's, mm. it's
1: harder and harder to find the humor in the way we operate at the moment. Are you tempted to lampoon and, and satirize the pre-match like meetings and pre-match pep talks that Mikkel gives, or or are you too scared of him to to tread in those waters?
3: <laughs> well, it's it, do you know what, it's funny. I, I um, part, I mean, part of the reason we're speaking, I I was fortunate enough to do a show for the Arsenal Supporters Trust at the Emirates, yes. which was yes. great. And Tim was there. And it was really nice to meet Tim. Um, and and yeah, part of what made up my set there was kind of gags about All or Nothing and and what <laughs> came out of that documentary because it, it was funny, right? It, it like it. I. I I've had a lot of stick from people, friends of mine who support other clubs. I honestly think if you were to get a proper look inside most clubs, there is a lot of that cringeworthy stuff going on. I do I do think to be an elite athlete at the age of 23, you, you probably do get sort of pushed on by, by mad stuff like what Arteta comes out with. I, 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 as much as it looks ridiculous to us as fans, I do think it's probably quite effective, the kind of David Brent-esque stuff that he comes mm. out with.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the audience he has is a very specific subset of maniacs who have spent their whole life being devoted almost entirely to football. They're young men, and they yeah. want they want a motivation that most of us don't have in our daily lives. Um, but I did get a little bit of that. I don't know um, how in touch you were with the Donald Trump presidential era of the United yeah. States, but there was a famous tweet. A journalist had been working, I guess, on a story about Trump, and Trump just wrote a tweet about it, and the journalist says – I've been working on this story for months and he just (laughs) tweeted it out. Do do, do you get that sense when you're like, I've been a comedian for years and Mikel just drew a brain and a heart and fans holding hands and potentially touching each other's, Special area, and he just he just drew he just drew it. Like, how am I supposed to do comedy? He's just drawing yeah. it on the screen for. But, us.
3: Yeah, exactly. You you can't satirize it; it's beyond satire. <laughs> it, 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 but at the same time, it's effective. And 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 I'm. While yeah. I, whilst we're winning games, you can kind of own it. When he mm. when he starts playing, you'll never walk alone around the training ground before we get done by Liverpool at Anfield. You kind of have to own those ones. But yeah, recently it seems like whatever he is saying to them is working. So, it's it's less ripe for satire, but it makes my Saturday afternoons a bit happier.
1: It is a fair point, right? Because like all the things that could be like Eric Ten Hogg's eras come to an end. We don't play friendlies like all the posturing and all the ridiculous comments he makes. They'd look a lot more badass if they weren't a clown car dumpster fire, you know, rolling down the road. So, you know, it's it's a lot easier to look cool doing that kind of stuff, the motivational stuff and the hard talk yeah. when you're actually winning. And I guess credit to Mikel. Right. He came in talking that way early on when things weren't very good. Um, you know, he said a lot of very big things that at the time there were questions about whether, you know, whether they say in Top Gun is his body's writing checks, or his mouth is writing checks, his body, his body can't, can't cash, cash or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah, but ultimately, yeah. to really have the confidence to say those things and then go live them and then go make them come to reality, I think that takes a special kind of person.
3: It, and, and also I think you've got to bear in mind the dressing room that he was, he was. I almost said performing to, but he kind of was performing to. It. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I've I, I watched an awful lot of Arsenal content. I, I I get the vibe of what that dressing room was like with with Aubameyangs in it and Lacazettes in there and and Pepe's and Gendizis and I. I don't. I, I really wouldn't be surprised if there was a few sniggers from that that. Uh, that little clique when he was first doing these kind of things. I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised mm. if there a few looks across the dressing room from, from experienced, you know, to top players in that dressing room looking across each other going, who does this guy think he is? I mean, you have to remember as well, Mikel was only sort of six, seven years older than mm. some of those players that were in that dressing room at the time. It definitely would have been a bit of like, who is this guy? What is he going on about? Who does he think he is? And I, I think he did so well to kind of stand firm, stick with what he was doing. And he's now got a dressing room that that seemed to respect some of the stuff that, as I say, to us does look a bit mad sometimes.
1: No, that's true. So, like, you, you got to motivate 19-year-olds differently than you have to motivate 30-year-olds. Um, mm. And not that I remember either of those eras, but but what I would say is that, um, you know, the same thing you're doing on a whiteboard or doing on a screen with music that might motivate the 19-year-old, maybe Obamiang needs, like, the Lamborghini brochure in PDF form, which, you, you know, who, who knows <laughs> yeah, what's, yeah. what's going to motivate uh, different kind of players. You know, as we shift to the, to the, like to current football a little bit more, Arsenal, are obviously very good, but there's just so much focus, I think on refereeing in the wake of the United game. You know, we had a, a, a penalty that whether it's a soft penalty or not, I think most of us think it being overturned is a little strange. The VAR, audios being released and I, I just think that we're we're in this moment now where var which was supposed to i think sort of help referees get it right and remove some of the angst around it has made it worse there's been a lot of talk about just making the referees better but i want to ask you jacob should we consider just making them sillier like if they were <laughs> silly hats or big shoes um would that maybe just make it a little easier to to laugh at at the performances as opposed to
3: I don't know. I, I don't remember where the video came from. Do you, do you remember there was a video that went viral about three or four weeks ago of a referee who was mic'd up? I'm trying to remember which game it was. Mm. I think it was a, a friendly, a, a European friendly or something like that. Was it? Mm-hmm. And, and It might have been a lower... <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what it was. I, I do remember seeing it, though. I, f- yep. I, I feel like there were good players within the video. But anyway... It, I don't know if the referee in that game was necessarily funny, but they at least became a human being when you could kind of hear mm-hmm. the interaction specifically that they were having with players. I The, the VAR room stuff, I mean, it's so hard with with, with referees in, in the UK because it's something that Clive says, I think, really correctly on the podcast sometimes is you, you kind of have to try and back them a bit. Because the problem we've got is no one wants to do it and we're stuck with these, you know, dinosaurs, all who grew up within 20 miles of the United Stadium. And yeah. you're never going to get better referees, new referees, if we're constantly, you know, slagging them off. But you, you listen to the... Vo- I mean, Mike Dean thinks he's a celebrity. You know, Mike, Mike, Mike Dean has assumed... I, I, I guarantee... I don't know whether you see this programme in, in America, but I guarantee you that he'll do I'm a Celebrity Getting Me Out of Here Soon, Mike Dean. He's He's so determined to follow this path of, like... You know, you know, becoming a bit of a meme. I think he loves it, and mm. the way you know, the, I I heard the. Audio Are you suggesting
1: Mike Dean likes attention because? <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: yeah, that's an outrageous well, claim, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's, it is that thing. You know, you, you're listening to the the audio of the the var thing from the weekend, and were what, what they calling him? They had little names for each other and nicknames, and oh, Tails was what Tails, was was one, one, one right when he he was like this. Tails, screen. you yeah. got to look
1: at the screen. You got to yeah. look at yeah. it. There's did, no did, contact. Did you? Yeah, did you find that strange that he's having him look at the screen, but he's telling him? what he's going to see. I, th- I thought the yeah. whole point was that they're not supposed to push
3: them either way on a decision. I thought the whole point was if you call them over to it. A bit. But then this is the problem, is neither you nor I, who are as big a geeks as you can get with this stuff, we don't really mm-hmm. know what the rules are. The, the, the refs clearly don't know what the rules are, and they change so frequently throughout a season that they're, they're bound to be inconsistent.
1: It's just bad etiquette too. I feel like at this point in time, they should know enough to at least say tails, Spoilers so that yeah. he can turn off the headphones you know, if he doesn't want spoilers before he gets to the screen, right? We're, we're all living in an era where we're, where we're trying to watch the end of Game of Thrones or watch the end of Breaking Bad or watch the end of Succession. The, the, VAR, the VAR official should at least have the decency to don't, say spoilers so he knows... Don't ruin the drama. Well. Don't,
3: don't yeah. ruin the twist at the end of Arsenal Man United yeah.
1: after you guys have already decided what's going to happen up there. Thank yeah. you. Exactly. It is, of course, all rigged. Um, kidding aside, where do you have us in our process right now? I think a lot of people... Aren't sure. You know, I it's interesting because usually when I listen to the ArsCast um to prepare to record this so I know what to say, um, he's saying a lot of the things I'm going to say anyway, which is quite helpful. Okay. Um, I listened to them this week and I I think Andrew in particular came across as not being so impressed by our performance against United, but obviously thrilled by the result. I have a slightly different take on it, which is I just think we've been playing excellent football that still looks like The automatisms in the final third, those, those connections in the final third don't look polished and ready for prime time just yet. So where are you uh, on your journey with, with this season in terms of thinking actually we're quite good and just, it, it needs a little tweak or, or do you think we're some way off where we were last season? It's,
3: it's a really, I'll, I'll try and answer it in two parts because I, I think there's where we are in terms of our process and, and what I think the club are trying to do this season and how I, I think we've played. In terms of where we are in our process and what I think the club are trying to do, I I, I sit next to my, one of my best mates, Joe, we've been going together for about six, seven years and we disagree on this. He, he believes what a lot of people have kind of um, suggested on the internet, which is that this summer is, is almost a kind of mini transition in the terms of bring, bringing in a new midfield, getting younger again and almost taking two steps back to go one step forward with an eye on the fact that Pep might leave City soon and there might be more of an opportunity. I, I just don't believe that. I, I don't believe that this club is an absolute... When you... I, I listened to the. I listened rather than watch because I can't stand looking at it. But I listened to the mm-hmm. the Rio Ferdinand and Declan Rice and Declan Rice is talking about our training ground and how the words win are everywhere. You know, we've got a dog mm-hmm. named after it. Mm-hmm. I, I I refuse to believe that Arteta and Edu and everyone at the club isn't doing everything they can to win the Premier League this season. I they, they've spoken about this kind of five part process. Last season they were calling the third part. This season is the fourth. I I truly think we are trying to win it this season. I don't think there has been a kind of internal conversation of going, we might get a little bit worse while we blood new midfielders, but it's a long-term vision of getting better. I think we've done that. I think the rebuild is done. It's about it's about performing yeah. now. In terms of where we are this season, I, I've i really struggled. I've got to be honest. I've, I've I've been lucky enough to go to the United game and the Forest game. I missed Fulham, but the Forest game, I have to say, I, I came out concerned. I, I thought there was half an hour in the first half that we were good. And I thought a lot of the rest of that game, we were kind of indifferent. And I, I actually agree with you having watched back. I think... Our, our our tactics are working. We're getting in the right positions. I, th- I think we've had a strange lull in uh, form from some of our most reliable attackers. Erdogan mm, has yeah. been hit and miss. I, th- I think he looks um, unfit, to be honest with you. And I've, I've actually... Mm. The, the AST thing... The, the, I mean, this isn't an ITK thing, but the, the AST <laughs> uh, thing that I performed at, the, the thing at the Emirates, H- Erdogan was actually supposed to be in attendance. And Mm. he pulled last minute and the whispers were that he might have hurt himself in the Community Shield because this was two days after the Community Shield. Mm. So I don't know whether he's unfit, but I I think there's a bit of that. But the main thing I've been trying to remind myself, and this has really been a post-United thought, is we were missing Zinchenko and Jesus for the first three games of this season. And I think because we've spent money on Timber, because we spent a lot of money on Havertz and even more money on Rice, who who is correctly going to become a talisman of this club... I think we've forgotten just how important those two players are. I, I, I honestly don't think we look like Arsenal when Zinchenko isn't on the pitch. And I yeah. think Jesus is our, is our best attacker. As I love Saka. I love Martinelli. Erdogan, I, I think, will become a, a midfielder that's remembered for generations in this league. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus is currently our most effective attacker. I, I think people have got this strange kind of... The wrong idea of what he was for us. I, People around me keep saying how oh, he drops off too much. He doesn't attack the box too much. He does attack the box. He 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 stretches lines better than any other forward we have. I, I think people have kind of confused him with Trossard as as being this kind of drift away nine who doesn't really get involved. It's like his whole game is about welcoming contact from defenders, spinning people, and creating chances quickly. And I I really think if he's back and he's as fit as we want him to be, he changes our season completely. And so yeah. I, I I I have to be honest. I I felt like we were. We looked unfamiliar, I think, the first three games. So much of it looked unfamiliar, but it was unfamiliar. You know, you look at that left-hand side, we were missing Zinchenko, we were missing Gabriel Magalhaes, who I thought was brilliant on Saturday, Sunday. But also, that's two left-footers from that left-hand side that we didn't mm. have, getting the ball to Martinelli quickly. I, I don't know if you watched the, um, the Zinchenko and Rio Ferdinand interview. Again, really interesting bit of content when Rio's not speaking. But it, there was a really fascinating <laughs> bit in that, There's a really fascinating bit in that where Zinchenko was saying, so much of my job is moving people around so that Martinelli can get the ball quickly and find himself one-on-one with a fullback. Mm. And Sunday's the first time I've seen that. I I, I think Martinelli's been good these first few games, but I honestly think Sunday's the first time that he's had proper service from two left-footers on that side who can get him the ball quickly. The right-hand side, I think Erdegaard and Saka have really missed those overlapping runs from Ben White. And I think... You know, we, we really have to cross our fingers. We can keep Zinchenko fit, keep Jesus fit, and, and we will look like the team that came so close last
1: season. I appreciate you trying to endear yourself to me on the podcast by saying Jesus is one of our most important attackers, by the way. And... <laughs> and one of my low-key favorite parts of the Rio and Zinchenko interview was Zinchenko asking Rio about certain positional responsibilities. And then b- when Rio answered, Zinchenko just laughing at him?
3: Yeah, yeah, cam- yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's incredible. I, anyone who hasn't seen it, you have to find it. it. You know, Zinchenko basically explains the inverted fullback position, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He says, look, I'm going to come inside. I'm going to create an overload in midfield, and you're going to have to deal with that. And Ferdinand basically says, well, I, I, I just ignore that. And because he's, he's in he oh, he's almost looking behind the
1: camera, going, How, how do I interact with this guy? <laughs> he's like, do you, do you want to stop rolling? <laughs> yeah. he's, he's incredulous. <laughs> to be fair to Rio, though, uh, he would have been right at home in se- a central defense for United uh, on Sunday. Uh, might have been one of the best central defenders to finish the game for United. Um, certainly but, the most mobile, certainly the most legend <laughs> on him
3: Johnny <laughs> yeah. Evans and Harry um, McGuire.
1: Yeah, so there, there is that. Um, yeah, I agree with all that. I also think, look, a lot about football is just luck. Sometimes you give up a 1v1 and the keeper saves it, or you know, the the attacker kicks his own foot instead of the ball. Like weird things happen. And last season, you know, when we were really good, I think our XG allowed, right? The expected goals we should have allowed. Mm. I think we actually allowed like 10 fewer. You know, we we got the rub of the green a little bit. Um, and that by the way. That's not a stick to beat a team with. Teams need that. You need the shots. Like you need the 20 yarders not to fly in the top corner sometimes. That's just the way it works. And I do think a huge reason why we're not even feeling more secure right now in this season is very simply because of a very atypical sack of giveaway that leads to a miskicked, what I think. I don't know if it's an attempt to shoot or an attempt to pass through center forward, that Ramsdale misreads and goes in. And if that doesn't happen, I think we beat Fulham quite comfortably. And we're on 12 points, and people are saying it's not perfect yet. But that's a good sign, because we're on 12 points, and we're not even perfect yet. Let's remember, we have the second fewest expected goals allowed in the league behind only City. Our shots against per 90 this season are lower than last season. Right? So we're allowing fewer shots. We're possessing the ball more than last season. I think what's happened is, You know, just one extra goal has flown in. And as a result, we're all a little bit nervy. But meanwhile, City have a game against Fulham, for example, where they take seven shots, seven, and score five goals and win five to one. And so, you know, I just, I think there's a little bit more variance, a little more randomness in football than people want to admit. But the way we're playing, in my view, will sustainably lead to points at the kind of level we need to. And what I mean by that is we're suppressing opposition shots, we're dominating territory, we're creating more than the opposition. I still don't think our attack is clicking, but if you do that, if you dominate the territory in the ball and you suppress opposition shots and you have the ball in the attacking third, that over thirty eight games, that's probably going to rack up a lot of points compared to someone like let's say United playing whatever the hell that is, you know, that that you're (laughs) you know, you're gonna you're gonna not Accumulate points at a particularly high rate. I mean, is that? Am I being overly sunny in my view? There, do you think? I I, I agree with you. I,
3: my if I, if I was to counter it, I would say I I remember a chance Forrest had against us in that first game. Brennan Johnson's in clear on goal. a bit of a mix up in the defense. If he puts that away, I don't know how that game ends. I, I remember Eze going down in the box in that Palace game. Mm-hmm. If they if they get that penalty and score it, we don't know how that game ends. I, I I'm I'm one of the. Uh, I'm one of the old men who, who's new to this stat stuff, and I'm, I'm learning it. <laughs> but I, I have to say, and you know, I, I will, you know, pay the, the show a compliment and yourself a compliment, Elliot, because I think it's one thing that a lot of us found. I've really benefited from this over over the last couple of years watching an Arteta team that is far more tactical mm. than anything I've ever watched before, and and I, I understand a lot more of those tactics because of what you guys do. But what, one thing that you guys I remember saying a few years ago, which I thought made a lot of sense, was we're playing low margins football, we're playing small margins football. And if one thing goes wrong, if you, if you do let in, if that Brennan Johnson goal goes in, if Eze does trip over a leg, we're in trouble. And I think we're waiting for things to get a bit better in both boxes to make those margins a bit stronger. Mm-hmm. I think there, there have been a few games already where we should have scored a second, should have scored a third. Some of that is just down to talent. I, and I felt as uncomfortable as anyone did over the summer with the David Raya deal. I, I, I love Aaron Ramsdale. He's, he's one of mm. the players who... It's coming to I I feel a real connection and bond with so many of these players and so much of it's to do with the narratives around them. I I love Ramsdale's narrative and I I remember feeling emotional when they released the the contract extension video and the, and he starts the video saying you know I, I know you guys weren't sure about me, and I I love that redemption arc. Mm, the, yeah. the cold hard stats point to the fact that he's an upgrade opportunity. Yeah, and and there there is an argument to say that if if we had a better keep if we had had Raya in the sticks. But for that Man United game, maybe he saves that Rashford's goal. Uh, and it's the same with the other end of the pitch. We, As I've said, I think Jesus could be the difference. And I actually think his his goal scoring last season was pretty decent. I think it worked out in one and every other game. Mm. There, there is an argument to say that if we had a more prolific striker, and it doesn't mean replacing Jesus necessarily, it just means having that in our, in our toolbox and we're finishing better in the box then we're getting the second and third goals. I will say I'm I'm similar to yourself I'm a bit of an Eddie skeptic. I think he's improved hugely this season. But I, I think really for for this I think you're right that the football's sustainable. We we need to start putting the ball in the back of the net better and we need to start yes. keeping goals out a little bit better for, mm-hmm. for
1: us not to fall victim to to bad luck. Yeah, everything we're doing between the thirds is right, right? But we need we need a few few fewer to fly in say that three times fast, um, in the, you know, in our defensive third and we need to be a little sharp in the attacking third. I mean, it, it is interesting how, because football is such a low scoring sport, how the, the narrative can change based on things that actually don't describe what happened in the game. And if that Garnacho goal is on side, the narrative these next two weeks are that 10 hogs United are rising and Mikel's arsenal I mean, are falling. And there's nothing about what happened on the pitch in particular that I think would support that narrative over the first four games of the season. Ten Hag's lucky to even be on as many points as he is. And we're probably unlucky not to be on 12. But, you yeah. know, that, that, that's the way it works. By the way, the Bournemouth game, like one of the best moments of my life from last season, they're breaking away, right? They have a 1v1 <laughs> chance to, to, to win that game that they don't score, which gives us the chance to win that game. I mean, those are the margins. It just, it, it, you know, are, I don't know how yeah. many people accept that.
3: They're they the margins, and it's also what what that narrative would do in terms of individual player performances. Imagine how we'd be talking about that Kai Havertz performance now if the Garnacho goal had stood and we finished that game two one to United. Imagine mm. the things we'd be saying. Imagine how quick we'd want Vieira in that team against Everton.
1: Some Imagine people do already.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, some people do, and I've you know I've got to be mm. really honest. I don't. I don't. A, away at Everton, I don't I don't know physically it's right. But B, I, I think you guys have spoken well about what we're actually trying to do with that mm. role, with that left-eight role in, in terms of being a kind of third-man runner, you know, to very often being the furthest man forward. Um, I don't think that's Vieira's game. I, th- I think he's coming on in game states where it really suits him to sit back a bit and try and receive it in the middle part of the pitch and kind of play passes behind. I, I don't think he does what Havertz was trying to do for most of that game. I also think... If that Garnacho goal stands, if if Magalhães little sort of body shimmy to stay on side doesn't work, we we might come away from that game going, you know what? The, defensively, there were times we weren't great. Defensively, there were times that McAlies wasn't right. Saliba wasn't right. Maybe we made a mistake keeping him on the bench. Maybe he's a bit cold now. Declan Rice wasn't great for that Garnacho breakaway. So it's, it's so mad that, you know, what would we be saying about Declan Rice's performance if he didn't score that late goal and, and had, you know, kind of messed up and left the middle of the pitch vacant for Garnaccio? I mean, I will say, I thought it was absolutely brilliant over the 90 minutes, Declan Rice, but you're so right in how these tiny little moments have such a large impact on
1: how we view not just what a team's done, what a player's done. It, it is exactly the problem that most of football matches, nothing happens, actually. And so we wind up deciding what we think of football matches by the very, very, very few moments where something happens. Mm. But there's, you know, 89 other minutes where important things are happening. We're just not valuing them at the same level. And I think that does skew analysis a bit. Um, You know, and just to prove that narrative is a thing, like Ramsdale is a nominee for the Asin Award, right? For the yeah. the – the best goalkeeper award. And by the way, kudos to Saka and Odegaard for Ballon d'Or nominations, right? A couple are some women as well, but like, you know, who's not a nominee for the Ashton award is, um, Allison, who is definitely the best keeper in the premier. League. Yeah, so, we, yeah, yeah. you know, narrative does rule these things. And, and, you know, the Ramsdale debate is definitely one that's going to run because to your point, and this is where, look, I want to be clear. I'm citing this data not to be inflammatory. It's just the data. Ramsdale's rating now is as, as, near the bottom of premier league keepers on this season's data. And he was in sort of the bottom quartile last season. That does not fit what my eyes tell me. And I still think the goalkeeping data is evolving, you know, data in football generally because it's a low event sport, it's hard to necessarily capture all of it. But even if I don't agree with the data, something caused the club to go out and go get Raya. And they do see it as a potential upgrade opportunity. And, You know, it is, that is a great example, I think, of where narrative, a guy who's been nominated for best keeper in the world award, meets data that tells you that he's struggling. And people really do then sort of decamp to what they prefer. You know, I like Ramsdale, I'm going to point to the award nomination, I don't like him, I'm going to point to the data. And as usual, we're in the messy middle somewhere with the truth. By the way, I have to say, the way the light is coming through the blinds in your room, you look like, I look like a like awake from it, the latest Star Wars show or something, <laughs> just something there. It's, um, it's like, like know, the mad lines of the awake it all over my face. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That, see, that'd be a very American thing, right? Face paint yourself to look like the awake it, but you, know, <laughs> you do you. Yeah. Yeah. On that?
3: The, the, the Ramsdale thing. It's, I think you're right in saying that I'm, I don't know about the data with, uh, with keeping And I think I've seen the same chart that I, I saw one chart anyway, that went around on Twitter yesterday and it was, I think it was specifically about saving shots that you should save, so kind of expected goals allowed and stuff like that. And yeah, he's really low on that. I, uh, you, I think the goalkeeper position is one where maybe as much as any, may, maybe it's on on a par with strikers. But like, I think soft factors are so important. I really do, and I think I think especially watching Ramsdale over the last couple of years, you can really see what he thrives on, you know, mentally and emotionally, and what will affect his game. I don't think it's a coincidence that he looks so much better away from home than he does at home. And when the Raya deal went through, I, I was kind of concerned that this might be what rocks Ramsdale. And I don't, we, we'll never know if that's right or not. We'll never know. I, I do think he's looked shaky the, like, the first few games of I do think he's looked shaky. I thought he looked shaky in pre season as well. And I don't know whether that's because he knew this Raya deal was happening. I suspect the Raya deal has been in the works for a while we we know that our goalkeeping has, you know worked with him at Brentford apparently he's a bit of a father figure to him we, we've been linked with bids to him for years and years and years and I I, I don't know how much of it was them looking around and going we, we want to replace you the numbers say that you're you know one of the lowest in the league in, in some metrics I don't know how much of it was you know almost led by the fact that they went look This guy, Raya's going to move. He's going to make his move away from Brentford now. We've liked him for a long time. We're about to lose a keeper in Turner. We need to buy one anyway. Why not buy the guy we really like and see what happens? And I will say, I think Eddie deserves a lot of credit for the deal we've done because we've kind of, you you know, we've made it work. Whatever happens, if he stays, great. If he doesn't, we haven't spent loads of money that we can't then get back. So it's a really funny one with keeping. I I was lucky on Saturday. I got I got to do the um, the breakdown with Adrian Clark. Hmm. And you know you get treated well, club level, nice seats. But and I, you know I managed to shift the nice client treatment. The client, yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> but, but one of the best things about that is you get to sit next to Adrian Clark and have quite a nice co-commentator for the mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. And he he was you know he was talking about this. He was talking about certain things Ramsdale was doing, and he was talking about how important that connection with the back four is, how important the fact that he knows White, the fact he knows Saliba, he's used to having Magali eyes there, so he knows you know, when he can pass to safe side, having a left footer there, having Zinchenko there, who takes up such good positions when he has the ball. One thing that I, I kind of questioned about the Raya deal from a process perspective was how late we did it in the summer. I did kind of think to myself, if you're going to do that, if you're going to bring in a keeper, and especially if it was to be a keeper that you'd want to replace your number one, you'd surely want them there building a relationship with those defenders for for most of pre-season, which didn't happen. So I, I don't know how committed the club are to potentially replacing one with the other. I think they are going mm. to play it out as a, as a kind of organic battle in the sense that Raya will get cups, Ramsdale will get the Premier League until something bad happens. I, I can't see a situation where we kind of go horses for courses with you know different keepers that suit different tactics for different games. But... There was a lot of stuff I couldn't see last season that is now the norm to us. I, I didn't know what an inverted left-back was two years ago, and now <laughs> I, I, I panic when we don't have one. So, it, mm-hmm. yeah, who knows what's going to happen with that. But I, I, do th- I do think there's evidence to point to the fact that Ramsdale, as much as we love him, might be an area to upgrade.
1: Yeah, I I think we're going to find out, because is R- going to play in some competition. And oh. once he's on been on the pitch and playing for Arsenal then it's kind of an open competition in that respect, right? Because you're going to be able to compare those performances directly. Um, I want to finish on this because, you know, you referenced the word win everywhere in the training room and the, you know, the trophies that will light up if we win them, right? That are on the Mm -hmm. wall and a dog can win. And there is an intensity to Mikel. And there are times when I watch these young players play that I feel the weight of the world on their shoulders at times. I really feel like, and I've said this before, the first few games of this season, every one of our attackers, with every move we had, it was almost like they're trying to score the winning goal in the Champions League final instead of just playing their game, making the next logical pass, finishing the chance. I, I think that there's immense pressure on these players. Now, there's immense pressure on all elite athletes at any club in any sport. But it's a very interesting... Comparison, I think, with like an Arsen Banger. Arsen Banger really believed in serenity and tranquility, and trying to mm. ease the pressure. Right, he liked to go into the German foothills and are there foothills in Germany? I don't know. Into the countryside, <laughs> and that's just a thing you say because no one knows what a foothill is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I defy you to define what a foothill is. But that we went to them, and uh, you know, that there was there was a desire, I think, that Arsen had for for tranquility, for peace, for serenity. So the players' minds would be at ease and they could just calmly go out there. He used to say, you know, it was we would describe his football as jazz. He wanted the players to just spark off each other. And McKell's is obviously highly specialized and specified in terms of what the players' roles are, where they're meant to be. When this guy goes mm-hmm. here, you go there. And one of the things that that can do is it can drill into you a repetitiveness about what you do where you stop thinking and you just do. You just act instinctively. I think that can help. But all this stuff about win and win and win and win and and the dog's name win and the walls are called win and, you know, the pressure that we put on ourselves. These are young players. And ironic, interestingly, vis-a-vis the start of our season, to your point, other than Zinchenko and Jesus, none of them have won anything. So, I I mean... What what, what I would say, I I think this summer... What do you think about the pressure? Yeah.
3: Well, yeah, I I think this summer... We, again, we've bought young, but we've bought players who have won. We've we've bought players who've won things in the past. You know, Declan Rice's last game before playing for us, he lifted a trophy. Yeah, Havert, yeah. Havertz walks in with a Champions League Champions well around team. his neck. Mm-hmm. Timbers won things for Ajax before. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence. I, I think we're buying players who are just about to hit their prime, but have played really well in big games in the past. Have have done you know, really good things in in, in big competitions and they're, they're walking with medals down around their neck. I, I think strangely, I, I've been told many times in the past that Havertz is a great big game player. I don't know if we saw that on Sunday, but look, it's his first one. It's, it's a really small sample size. In terms of the, the intensity and how that's transmitted, especially from Mikel, I, I'll, I'll share an anecdote with you, if you don't mind, that um, has come from the training. So I, I, uh, I went on a stag do a month or two ago with a guy who works for Arsenal. He works in the kind of digital comms team. Um, and he was telling me, I was sort of asking about Mikel and, and he, he's, he described it really funny. He sort of said that him and Edu are kind of good cop, bad cop, not, not in the sense that one's nasty and the other's nice, but in a kind of intensity way. So he said, Edu's a bit of a geezer. He, he walks around, he's, he's got a joke with everyone, arm round, you know, pat on the back. He's, he's a real kind of friendly guy. Whereas he said, as soon as Arteta walks in a room, everyone sits up straight. You know, every, every, mm-hmm. every, everyones it's, it's like that army commander, but he, he's still very positive. He said, he, he, he sort of told me about a friend of his, who, who works in the same department. This, this guy who his job at Colney is basically to get all the screens working, all the TVs on the walls, you know, get the right logos on them, get the right mantras playing, the right videos playing. He's, he's just in charge of the TVs. And it, apparently this guy bumped into Mikel just, just after he'd started working at Arsenal, he bumped into Mikel in the hallway and, you know, Mikel sort of goes, oh, what's your name, man? he goes oh you know I'm Dave I do the TVs at the training ground apparently you know mm. Arteta just sort of stood there really intently listening to this guy for two minutes and then you know this this guy felt like he was talking to like a, an army commander you know just being oh this is what I do you know I do the TV it's not a mm-hmm. big deal nice to meet you sir blah, blah blah he said the next Monday morning uh that guy came in and there was a bottle of rum on his desk from Mikel mm. Mikhail came around to him on his lunch break with, with Pear and Edu and, and sort of shook the guy's hand and sort of gave him this big spiel like. Man, you know, the, the TVs are so important to us. They help us communicate. It's such a big way that, you know, <laughs> our family stays together. We have to have to, Thank you, mate. You know, and he, he said that he felt like he could run through a wall afterwards. I'd like to think that's what Arteta is trying to do with the players in terms of applying the pressure in a way that's motivational rather than something that's going to feel like Not a weight so. over their shoulders. Mm. That, People respond to those things in really different ways. And I think one thing that the All or Nothing documentary showed us is that Arteta is still learning those bits of management. He's still learning how to, how to manage different players and how to, how to give them pressure in different ways. We, we've seen the way that he speaks about Emile Smith-Rowe it, after games. It, it's, you know, I expect more. I expect this. I, I want mm-hmm. this. I, I, and, you know, Smith-Rowe's not playing at the moment, but he seemed to think that the stick was more worthwhile than the carrot in that situation. The way he spoke about Havertz, after that Fulham game, I've got to be honest with you, that, that, that worries me. The mm. fact that he has to come out to all of us and say, this guy needs some love, he needs some support. A, I, th- I think the fans have been really patient. and I, Certainly in the games I've been to, I, I mm-hmm. don't think people are losing patience with Kai. I think they're really trying. There have been times where other players have been questioned in this team and we've not seen Mikel say that. Now, I think it's if he really believes that that's what he needs to do with Kai, great. It, it, is there a slight concern about Kai's mentality that a manager has to say that? Maybe. But I I, I think you can see that what Arteta is really trying to do is look at this group, look at who can manage pressure, lift it in different ways. And the players that aren't performing at the moment, you know, we're, we're talking about Saka, we're talking about Erdegaard. You could argue Martinelli's been a bit hit and miss the first few games. I don't think pressure is something those guys struggle with. Saka, we know, doesn't mind pressure. We watched him miss a penalty at the Euros, come back, put one away in a huge game. Mm -hmm. I I think Martinelli, he looks to me like someone that thrives on pressure. Erdegaard, I've got to be honest, there's times that he looks too emotional. Uh, After the City game at home in February last season, he was on his knees and I wanted him picking people up. I'm I'm no psychology expert, but I I do think that we've got a manager who's really trying to manage this pressure. And and look, I'll be honest with you, Sunday for me, I was at the Bournemouth game as well. Sunday was up there. It was, it was incredible. What, what a yeah. way to win a game. And, and it's, you know, I've had moments in the last year or so as, a football, as an Arsenal fan, moments in stadiums that I'll never forget that have been the, the best moments I've ever had as a football fan. And as many other clubs fans will tell you, we haven't even won anything. But I am absolutely dying for a quiet 2-0 at home.
4: <laughs> do you know, yeah, I am dying through a game
3: yeah. for where where they say, yeah, Arsenal didn't really get out of second gear but Havertz popped up at the back stick, 2-0, clean sheet, Ramsdale didn't do much. I am dying. <laughs> just give me yeah. a couple of months of that. Just, just calm it down. I, I, I don't <laughs> worry about us getting too emotional I, and I think you've seen in clubs like Liverpool that you can use that emotion as adrenaline. This is a young group. This is a seriously young group and I think there might be players in there who might be buckling under the pressure a bit and I hope we have a manager who's really learning how to tailor that for each member of the squad and, and to make sure they're focused.
1: The, you know, there's a temptation to say like, oh, the, the manager has to create a tranquil atmosphere, you know, take the pressure off, whatever. the But I, I guess, to be fair, if you have players who will not thrive under pressure, it's unlikely you're going to win the biggest things. So the job of the manager isn't to take the pressure off. The job of the manager is to prepare the players, but also to collect a group of players who will not wilt under pressure. I think, mm-hmm. look, the intelligent people that yeah, I certainly know you know, are, are in this Arsenal community understand that our last two seasons fell apart largely due to injuries and thin squads that weren't ready to go wire to wire without key players available. Mm. But that doesn't change the fact that the narrative is going to exist that Arsenal bottled two consecutive seasons when their goals were in sight. Top four two seasons ago, title last season. Again, I'm not saying that's what happened, but the narrative is there. And narratives become a thing in your head. You know, if you've ever underperformed in an area of your life and you're aware you underperformed, the next time you go out to do it, yeah. You may have that underperformance in mind. Now, I'm not saying that this has necessarily happened to me in my you know, personal life and my relationship <laughs> with my wife in any way like that. You know, nothing to that effect. But, but I'm just saying that that kind of a thing can happen. Uh, and thankfully, there are medications that help with it. But the, <laughs> the point is that long-term, the players will have the medal for, for, to achieve the things they want to or not. There's no question in my mind The talent is there to achieve those things. Um, and to your point, you know, letting forest back in a game at home and conceding a late goal to 10 man Fulham. Those are the kind of things that are going to get the opposition thinking They have a chance when they come to you, but also the players in the back of their mind going, well, you know, we're two nil up. It's the 89th minute where, you know, we're. These three points bring us level with City at the top of the table. Can they hold their medal? You know, can they yeah. can they do that? And but but to be fair, this is why narrative is dangerous because against Palace away, one 0 up, down to ten men. What did we do? We defended like Lions, and then we got our foot on the ball, and then we won the game. So you really we need to be patient. You're right; it's a young team. I think we will see how they start to evolve in terms of the way they handle pressure. But the next step for this team is to just not worry anymore that they're good enough, know they're good enough and go out there and, you know, I think do what City does, which is just routinely kill the will of the opponent by being better than them and knowing they're better.
3: Yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right that that narrative, that narrative becomes self-perpetuating. I think, and and we, we know that we live in an era where players are reading this stuff. They're, they're not immune to it. They know what's being said yeah. on social media. They know what's being said by the crowd. And, the, and it is self-perpetuating. And I think you're 100% right, mate, that there is nothing a manager can do when you've got 10 games to go in a run-in and you're you're being chased by City, there's nothing Arteta can do to, to relieve that pressure. There there isn't anything he can do. There, there is pressure. That and you have to get through it to win yep. things. And I I think if anything, you, I look back at some of the moments last season where where we did fall apart a little bit in the run-in. I agree with you about injuries. I also think there were times we looked casual. We we didn't <clears throat> and that people people react to pressure in really different ways. I think we reacted by by playing too casually. I, I look at Thomas Partey trying to turn out of trouble against West Ham, mm. giving the ball away, and we concede. That looked casual to me. You know what Ramsdale did against Southampton? It looked casual. I I, I don't know what he can do, and I think I think you're 100 right in saying you, you can try and help young players deal with pressure better, or you can just buy players that that aren't as affected by the pressure. It's it's, the, it's exactly the same with injuries. For, for years, I've heard this thing of people going, oh, we need to get a better medical team. What's wrong with Arsenal's medical team? No, we don't. We need to buy players that don't get injured. They all come with track records. Sometimes they, it's spontaneous. Tommy Ashew didn't really get many injuries before he played for Arsenal. Sometimes mm. it's pretty obvious. You look at Thomas Party before he came here. His minutes were very carefully managed in a slower league. Maybe we could have seen that coming. And it's the same with the mentality thing and the pressure. And as I said, I, I think that's why we've bought players this summer who walk in with medals around their neck, who've got experience of performing at the highest level in big games. And I think yeah. so much of this season is going to come down to getting those players on the pitch. De- Declan Rice played like a captain on Sunday. he, And, and as that game was getting more tense... He, he picked things up. Both teams look knackered, by the way. I, I think you guys have said it. They look exhausted. We don't look fit. Mm. And a lot of teams don't, to be fair. And I think that might be a schedule thing for the last couple of years. But he was the one calling for the ball. He was the one driving us forward. If we can see that from Havertz, if we can keep players like Jesus on the pitch in big games, we can keep Zinchenko on the pitch in big games. I think we do have players in this team with the mentality to win things. I I I really believe that and I think that's why we've invested in a very particular way and I, I think so long as we can get to that part of the season still in touch with City I, th- I think we're much better prepared this season to to do a run-in and to compete against them
1: properly well said look I can as I think you know go on all day but we can't go on all day uh, because you know other things are going on um I'm excited for the rest of this season. I think we're maybe even better than we give ourselves credit for. And I look forward to catching up with you again this season to see where we are to either celebrate, uh, where we stand or, uh, see if you can deliver some gallows humor for us to pick, pick us all up. So one <laughs> of the other Jacob, I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking to you again, the link to where to find all of Jacob's great stuff is, uh, in the show notes. The link is in the show notes yet. Yeah, that's it. Um, and, uh, you can find Jacob on X at a nightclub. I don't know. No, you can find him on X. Um, uh, which is Twitter at uh, Holly Jacob uh, Jacob great great to meet you I guess actually and great to speak to you and I look forward to doing it again real pleasure Elliot thank you mate is mine okay we're gonna leave it there and uh, we have both half rewatches of the United game over on Patreon if you want to check it out we'll have the Premier League Power Rankings episode coming up as well we'll all get through the intro all together we love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10 Everton New <laughs>